Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Guma, tackling your stock-related questions this evening. Our Alex Days from Umtombo Wealth and Independent Analyst Chris Gilmore. Don't forget to send those questions via SMS to 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thanks, gentlemen, for your time. I'm quite surprised by the uh, market's uh, sentiment today. Um, really largely in the green. We've seen the U.S., all the bosses there in the green. And we also saw a turnaround in the JSC today. It was in the red earlier on, but um, eventually ended the day almost a fifth of a percent up. A little bit of a mixed picture in the European market side, but largely green there. And it's surprising to me because the last week we did have the market upbeat on um, hopes of a reopening when it comes to an easing of the zero COVID strategy, but that hasn't happened. And we also did get disappointing economic data coming out of China. So Chris, just starting with you, I mean, what do you think is responsible for the upbeat mood in the face of still negative sentiment coming out of China? So Nati, I, I think a number of things. I think we, we're, we're looking at a situation in the US particularly where uh, the, the perception is that the interest rates are getting close to peaking, okay? Uh, maybe not peaked yet, but, but we're getting very, very close. And if that's the case, then, um, well, hello then, we're on another roll, you know? Yeah. I mean, really, it's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so we're probably going to see uh, the, the Fed funds rate peaking out at maybe 5%. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of damage will have been done to the U.S. economy uh, by that time. I don't think... Uh, I don't think a lot of people quite realize just, just what is actually happening to the U.S. The U.S. economy is still in, reason, in, in reasonably good shape. But, you know, the longer this goes on, uh, the worse it gets for the U.S. economy and for many other economies that are taking the strain from, other, uh, for, from higher interest rates. So I think it's a misplaced optimism in many, many ways. Mm. Um, you know, are, are the, uh, the, uh, the, the earnings that we we're seeing, are, are they that great? Not, not fantastic, and I think they're going to be hurt by, 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 by higher uh, interest rates. But, you know, let's make hay while the sun shines. Sun, you know, let's not uh, uh, get all precious about it. Yeah. Um, it's, we'll, we'll, we'll take it. Um, Alex, do you think that the optimism is misplaced when you look at the U.S.? Because, I mean, as much as you have these, uh, this headline economic data coming in signaling that, uh, for example, the U.S. labor market is still quite strong. We had that jobs data coming out on Friday. But you're seeing, though, on the ground... Um, the labor market kind of starting to loosen. Um, we have this report of layoffs coming uh, in Meta, and of course we've seen other companies coming out and saying that they will be uh, laying off people or slowing hiring. So what are you making of that difference in data that we are getting? Good evening. Um, I mean, first of all, look at how steep interest rates has been. It's the highest in history. So that will no doubt have an impact on the economy, online consumer and business, etc. Um, for example, if you look at some of the data, we're seeing mortgage applications are coming down substantially. We're also seeing credit card debt is going through the roof. And at the same time, savings have dropped substantially. So that tells you that the U.S. consumer, all, all of the savings they've been able to accumulate over the COVID period, they're starting to spend that now because of high inflation, etc. So um, I think it's just more of a delayed impact. There's no doubt the slowdown of the economy is going to come. I think 2023, 2024 is most likely going to be very difficult for the United States economy 
And we, you're going to start seeing unemployment picking up. Um, we signed, for example, seeing the numbers from some of the big tech companies, but you can imagine some of the smaller uh, enterprises all over the country will start retrenching people as well, just due to input cost pressures and so forth. So uh, at the moment, the US consumer is still resilient. They're doing okay, but there's also some pocket of, of data which indicating weaknesses around the corner. So I would say you should be cautious. Um, you know, at the moment, we are in a risk-on environment. We've seen the very strong market movements in October now, also last Friday. But the fact of the matter is people are still very uncertain about the future. And you're going to get this so-called relief rallies every now and again, and then perhaps a bit of a pullback later on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Talking about that delayed impact, of course, with the last um, print, we did see that unemployment ticked up to 3.7%. But I guess we could start seeing an uptick of that in the coming months. Let's take a look at the drama that is unfolding when it comes to gold fields and Yamana Gold. Of course, now on Friday, we had um, the rival bid coming out, a joint bid coming out from Pan American and Agnico, with Yamana now saying that that offer, it's a cash and share offer, saying that it is, um, it's, it's, it's superior to the Goldfields offer. Of course, Goldfields coming in and saying that they will not be changing their terms of that offer. What are you thinking of that, Chris? Because it seemed that from the jump in Goldfields shares on Friday that the markets are actually or investors are quite happy about the fact that that deal might not see the finish line between Goldfields and Yamana. Chris, are you still with us? I've frozen. Everyone's frozen there. Oh, dear. Uh, can you hear us now? All right, Chris, I'm going to be coming back to you. But in the meantime, let me just go to Alex. I will try and maybe sort that out. Alex. What are you thinking of the dynamics that are happening between Goldfields, Yamana, and now this new joint offer? I mean, look, when Goldfields announced the deal, I mean, the share price dropped about 20%, and that was due to the expected dilution. And the thought was that they seem to be overpaying for this assets, regardless of what they are spending, you know, of, of the long-term prospects and so forth. So I think there's still a big chunk of, uh, of Goldfield investors probably not in favor of this deal. Now, with the new dynamic um, happening, um, it is interesting <laughs> how this is going to pan out. So, yeah. obviously, this is, there's also a breakout fee that's going to be paid by either party for whoever walks away from the deal. So, on the 21st, um, Yamana, Yamana is going to vote on, on the deal. And uh, obviously, if they do decide to accept the opposing offer, it could be a breakout uh, fee they need to pay. And likewise, for, for when the cultural shield is, decides against it. So, I think it's it's still uncertain at this particular stage. Um, how is it going to pan out? You know, also from a Goldfields perspective, there's also need 75% approval from shareholders. And I think if Goldfields does increase their offer price, um, I think that it increases the likelihood that shareholders will vote against it. So they're quite in a difficult position. They need to hope that the existing offer somehow gets the votes, but for them to up the ante, it's going to be difficult to get the shareholder vote, shareholder vote approval in my view. Yeah. Chris, I hope you are back with us and you can uh, hear us. So we're talking about the gold fields um, and potential gold fields and Yamana deal now coming in with this rival bid from Agnico and Pan American. So, I mean, this is a deal that has largely been considered by shareholders to be quite expensive. And of course, uh, Alex mentions that Goldfields is in quite a difficult position because um, you're still waiting for shareholders to vote on the current offer. Now, increasing that would kind of um, increase the odds of shareholders voting against the deal. So I'm just wondering on the options that Goldfields has at the moment. 
because this is an all share offer and the rival bid, bid is coming in with a cash and share offer so we know that goldfield is not going to up that price but do you think that they would maybe have an option of kind of restructuring those terms look i think any op, uh, any offer that has a cash underpin even um partial or or full um stand, probably stands a better chance in this kind of environment of succeeding but um uh, to be honest i i i, I haven't really um followed that that one the, the, this closely but i would have thought that anything with a, with a cash offer uh, probably stands a better chance than, mm. than something that, that's all all um, shares. Yeah, indeed. Alex, do you think also on your part that um, this this other rival bid stand a, stands a better chance because they have that share that share option as well? Yeah, I have to, I have to agree with Chris there. I mean, this environment, cash is king, and you know, some sort of certainty regarding cash, I think, will uh, certainly have a preference over just over shares. But incidentally, as um, Goldfield's share price is going up, it also makes the offer a little bit more attractive as well. So there are some interesting dynamics of play here. I think only time will tell how it's going to play out. Mm. All right. So I think we all agree that financially that rival bid looks better. But now coming into a strategic fit uh, kind of scenario, does Goldfield not stand a better chance in terms of the strategic benefits here? Chris? Whew, I don't know. I, I, I really haven't I haven't looked at that closely, to be honest. And, and I, I'd, yeah. I'd be sailing by the, um, the the seat of my pants if I offered an opinion on that one. <laughs> Do you have an opinion on that one, Alex? Look, um, I'm always, uh, let's call it bolt-on acquisitions. I would say you can assess whenever there's a so-called transformational deal like we're seeing here that is so enormous in scale. I think you always have to be very careful. You know, most likely there will be more disappointment going forward. So, um, if I was a Goldfield shell, I probably would have preferred not to deal to go through mm. because of this, 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 the size of the scope of this deal and the fact that it's in a different country, jurisdictions, etc. This increases the risk regardless of the potential uh, benefits and so forth. Yeah. You have to look at the amounts involved and ask yourself what can go wrong yeah. and what material. All right. So, well, let's take a look at some of the questions that are coming in. Uh, we have one on Telcom. Uh, what does the panel think of the Telcom share at 36 Rand? It's not similar to MTN when it was trading at 63 Rand last year in January. Um, yeah. Uh, Chris, what do you think of the Telcom story? Do you think that this is a buy opportunity at 36 Rand, considering also that they might maybe get another um, knock on the door from MTN? And we could also see also some of... Um, uh, corporate action coming out of telecom. Look, I think they were very, very lucky when they got that um, got the nod from MTN. Um, look, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to be brutally frank about it. Um, uh, telecom is yesterday's story. I mean, really, they've been, they've been trying very, very hard to, uh, to to modernize, to actually come kicking and screaming and fighting into the 21st century. But it, it really is. It, it's 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 a very, it's a dead old company there with, with dead old ideas. And I wouldn't touch with a barge ball, frankly. <laughs> Alex, would you be touching telecom at these levels? Yeah, I have to agree with mostly what Chris has to say there. But at the moment, if you want to buy telecom, I mean, it's more for speculative purposes, right? So you're trying to bet there's going to be some sort of deal that's going to be beneficial. But if you look at telecom as it is operationally and as a investment case by itself, there's a lot of issues they need to overcome. Um, business doesn't generate free cash flow. It's quite ex-growth. It needs to re, you know, uh, reinvent itself. 
and that current management and shielding structure and you can imagine the amount of people that's involved in a business, it's highly unlikely it's going to happen. Mm. Right. There's actually another question on MTN. Is MTN a buy at these levels or should one wait for the share to come under pressure before getting into it? Chris? Yeah, look, um, it, it's, it's going to go through um, times when it's, it, it, I, I don't know what the, if it's a particularly good value at this point in time. And there are always going to be uh, problems with MTN because of the kind of jurisdictions in which they operate. Um, they're not scared of going into some really, really uh, difficult places. And that it's, it's quite incredible how they've managed to succeed in some of these jurisdictions. So, look, I think you just have to be a little bit careful because from time to time, you are going to see MTN getting into trouble through no fault of their own. Hmm. I mean, this is an incredibly good company. It really is outstandingly good uh, operationally and in every other metric. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just, just buyer beware, that's all. Okay. Um, just quickly before we go to break, Alex, your thoughts on MTN? Because we have seen uh, some of the moves that the company has tried to de-risk the business, of course, even though there are some risks that, that, that uh, persist and some others that are coming into the fall. Look, my share price has been under a lot of pressure uh, year to date thus far. Uh, mostly, of course, for all the forex headwinds they've got and the slowdown in some of these economies, like, for example, Nigeria uh, and Ghana. Um, so that makes it very difficult for them to operate, then also to extract that cash out of those markets, right? So those are some of the issues which is causing some fun mazes, some sleepless nights, and as a result, that's why share prices sold off to some extent. Um, but there's also a lot of corporate action opportunities still in MTN. I mean, we're going to see quite a few updates, most likely Q1 of next year, the you know, FinTech as well as the Towers business and so forth. And uh, the valuation is not expensive in my view. So I think if you do take a medium-term view and are willing to stomach some of the cyclical headwinds that uh, Chris is referring to, mm. then perhaps it's worth opportunity to buy MTN at these levels. Um, but I'll, I'll be careful if, if your horizon is only short-term because the, this thing can even go a lot lower as well. I think uh. it's going to um, so Sasol is issuing uh, the bond uh, to refinance debt in the most part. It can convert them to shares in the future. This will be like a rights issue leading to a dilution. Or they can repurchase the bonds maybe by issuing a new bond, no dilution. Of course, we did have um, the, the, um, the markets not reacting positively to the announcement of a bond issuance uh, that was last week. Alex, what do you think of this of 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 this uh, bond issuance that they're they're undergoing right now? Very generous dividend a while ago back. Um, so now to you know so that this puzzles I think market participants a little bit more. You pay this big dividend now doing a convertible uh, bond, which is going to be dilutive. All right, but so that's I think that's the first point. And secondly, if you look at the convertible bond. Um, you know, they've got some debt repayments they need to do in dollars from here and I think also end of 2024. And as a result, they need, you know, some funding for that. So that's the purpose of this. Also at a decent coupon, I guess, so it reduces the interest cost. Um, it means they're going to issue about, I think, 36.8 million shares, give or take, or it's going to lead to a dilution of 5.9% if the global bond options get exercised. And with our view on oil prices and so forth, we think it's quite probable that it will be exercised at some stage in the future. So I think the share price movement mostly reflected that dilution of about 5.9%. Um, so yeah, I think it's a bit of a mixed bag, but mostly due to the fact that they paid a big dividend. Now you're doing this. 
I probably would have preferred a more conservative approach regarding capital management in our view. Mm. Um, Chris, have you had a chance to look at this? I mean, because of course there are um, those benefits of reduced uh, coupon rates. Um, they will be refinancing as their debt, some of the debt, um, and also using that for other uh, operations. Do you maybe think that, of course, the markets reacted to the dilutionary effect of that, but do you think that maybe that was just a knee-jerk reaction and maybe that negative um, reaction was kind of misplaced? Yeah, look, I think Alex is, is spot on. Um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's an elegant solution to the, their, their existing dollar debt. Um, it's actually quite nice. But um, at the same time, you know, it, it, there, there are some inherent risks in the whole thing. But uh, yes, yeah, so the, so the market has probably, um, you know, taken a, a, a view that, uh, you know, this could be a little bit risky. Um, and it's, it's, it's just taken the view to, to, to knock it in, in the short term. But I, th I think a longer term, I think it's quite an, actually a, quite an elegant solution. Mm. All right. So let's get to more of the questions. I have got three stocks I would like to buy. Apple, Nike and Procter & Gamble. I've been looking for companies with a lot of brand power. Could you please tell me your thoughts on these picks? And if you have got any other companies with great brand power, please uh, could you also ask the panel? So three options, Apple, Nike and Procter & Gamble. Seeming like really, really good options at this point. Alex, your thoughts? Look, I mean, I don't look at these companies in my professional capacity, so I don't have a, let's call it an informed view. Yeah. Uh, on his businesses. I'll be reluctant to want to give uh, advice on something that comes out and look in, into detail. Yeah. Um, like I said, in my personal capacity, I do own Nike. Okay. Um, Nike has obviously been under pressure specifically what's happening in, in China at the moment. The demand has dropped quite substantially off there. But, you know, Nike has also shot more to the wholesale side of things. So I think that's a business model that makes sense to me as a brand that's remained strong and most likely will remain strong over the longer term. But the valuation at the moment is probably not a compelling. Um, so that's something to think about. But yeah, other than that, I can't really give you informed views on, 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 those, on those counters, unfortunately. Yeah, all right. So Procter & Gamble did release results recently. Um, they said that to counter the rise in input costs, they've passed on those costs to consumers. But of course, with that, they've seen uh, pressure in demand, but saying that they haven't really seen significant changes when it comes to consumer behavior, although they have seen in some of their products um, basically losing market share. They say that it's temporary. Uh, just looking at that and also Apple, of course, we know that this is a good brand. There's brand loyalty there, uh, but also they've been warning of, of production issues um, because of China and also um, some demand pressures. Um, any of those uh, counters that you're particularly keen on, Chris? Yeah, look, Procter & Gamble, as you rightly say, um, along with Unilever, uh, they came out with a statement uh, a week or two ago. They, they've been increasing their margins um, because of uh, a, a perceived uh, drop in volumes. Um, and, you know, th that's going to be a, a trend that's going to carry on for quite some time, I think, from these consumer groups. Um, so I'm just a little bit weary of, of them because that, that can go on just for, just for so long until you meet some consumer resistance. Nike has been incredibly resist, resilient over many, many years. Now. <laughs> there seems to be no, um, no end in sight to uh, its attraction. Um, Apple, I've, I've never been an Apple fan, so you're, coming, you're, you're talking to the wrong person. <laughs> um, I've, I've, I've always been coming from the other side, from, from uh, Android. Um, yeah. And, you know, as you rightly say, they're taking, uh, 
they've taken a lot of strain with the Foxconn operation in, in, in China in terms of COVID and the like. That's a temporary thing. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll certainly get over that. Um, are they as, as far ahead of the competition as they think they are? I'm not really convinced that they are. I think the, 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 I think the, um, the, the competition uh, has heated up dramatically uh, in recent years. Um, and, you know, the days of when you had Steve Jobs coming and, uh, and releasing something new and really highly innovative um, every, every few months, uh, long gone, long gone. So I, 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 I'm not really the, the kind of Apple devotee that um, a lot of people are. Mm. All right, let's talk about uh, some of the stuff that came out of the JC today and Robix coming out with interim results. Double-digit growth in um, quite a lot of their key financial metrics. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a counter that's really uh, seen as resilient and kind of the darling in that construction sector. Are you bullish um, on that stock on any level, Alex? Look, I mean, the, the results were not very comparable with previous periods because there was a couple of acquisitions specifically that the Balba resources they bought. It's difficult to get a sense of what exactly the like-for-like like, uh, numbers were. But if you look at the breakdown of the results, um, they're doing quite well on the road side of things. So we know, of course, Sunrose given some projects, or they've gained some projects, and they're doing well there. But there's also a lot of delays from Sunrose. So the pipeline, perhaps, is, is reducing. They've also invested quite a lot in the infrastructure side, with all the other South African construction companies really going bust or um, reducing capacity. They've been investing quite a lot in there. So I think that part of the business is promising, especially if renewable energy comes to the fore and so forth. But if you look at the breakdown of the profits, uh, more than half the profits are coming from rest of Africa, which mm. is dominantly the Bay Bridge. That's very high margin, about 25% EBIT margin. It's about five times the margin they make in SA and multiples of what they make in Australia. So that's a big chunk of business. You've got risk. This is a business that is doing big business in Africa. You know, um, you have to be cognizant of them. And the same also that in Australia and the Western Australia, specifically Perth, but also doing you know, mostly lower risk type of projects, but also high margin, 8%. The SA component of it is much smaller. You know, so it's not really just an SA business you're buying here. So mm-hmm. some investors need to understand that. Um, but it still remains construction. Uh, I think, I mean, the free cash flow is negative because they've invested quite a lot of capex in, in Balba at the moment, which is a concern. I don't know. For me, um, I, I just, the risks are always high in these companies. You need high margin of safety. Hmm. Rabex trading at a P of nine odd, close to book value, doesn't look particularly attractive for us. Hmm. So we rather stand on the sideline. Ah, okay. Chris, on your side, Rabex? Yeah, it's a company I've always liked. I must admit, it's a and very, very. Um, it's 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 a wonderfully run company, uh, and as Alex said, you know, its its main thing is is, is in roads. Um, look, I think roads are going to. I mean, it it should be a no brainer. I mean, and these guys really should be doing incredibly well in South Africa. But you you haven't got the political will, I think, as yet, in South Africa to really get ahead and, and do what requires to be done. So in the meantime, they're being innovative. They're going and they're, they're finding the business in the rest of the world. Uh, and as Alex said, that comes with a whole host of risks. I can give you a chapter and verse of so many great uh, construction companies that have, have fallen foul of, of doing precisely that thing over the years. Uh, and it looks good for a while, and then it, 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 all, it all comes apart. So just got to be very, very careful. I mean, the inherent risks in construction companies really are, are, are phenomenal. Mm. All right, Redefine also coming out with their results. Um, the market reaction there quite um, muted. It's only up, I think, just under uh, a percent. 
Um, so, of course, they're still experiencing pressure in office vacancies, but I mean, that being made up by retail and industrial, they've also decreased their uh, loan-to-value ratio to within their target. Do you think there's good value to be found in Redefine, Alex, or not? Look, this African property sector is quite attractive, and one of our stock picks will be in, in a property space. Okay. Um, but it's not Redefine. Okay. Um, you know, we do not like Redefine, really. I think it's uh, not a bad portfolio, and so for valuation, not expensive, but we think the 100% is will pay out, or poly, uh, dividends are paying out, it's not sustainable. Um, I don't think the balance is in great shape. You know, quality of earnings ain't great. Track record not great. You've got obviously investments in Parliament, which is questionable, etc. So, for us, I mean, I think the the muted response is warranted uh, in, in our view. So we, we think there must be opportunities. If you want to buy large cap properties, pay something like a growth point for us looks relatively a lot more attractive than than redefine. Also, substantially lower risk in our view. So for us, yeah, you know, you can make a different case for it, but it, it doesn't meet our parameters. Ah, all right. Well, unfortunately, Chris, I can't get your opinion on Redefine. We have run out of time, so let's get to your stock picks. Chris, what will it be today? Uh, I'm going to go for one of my old favorites because it's doing absolutely nothing and has been doing absolutely nothing for a while now. It's at City Lodge. Um, we're coming into the holiday season, good and proper now. And we've got, um, we've got uh, occupancies well above break-even level. And um, I think in the next set of results, uh, which will come out in... Um, I guess about late February, early March sometime, we'll start seeing the, the benefits of, um, of, of, those, of, of those occupancies. So, yeah, I'm sticking with City Lodge. All right. And on your side, Alex, what are you hanging your hat on today? Yeah, so uh, I'm going for attack. Um, so I think this is a quality business at a, at a deep discount. It's trading roughly about 60% discount to its NAV. You know, its portfolio is quite resilient in our view, and it's got uh, conservative value. So despite its conservative values, it's still trading quite a big discount to some of the other South African peers like Redefine I alluded to. Mm. And it's got a strong balance sheet. It's got a very good long debt maturity, decent cash levels. And because of the strong balance sheet, it gives an optionality to do some uh, yield enhancing type of opportunities. For example, share buybacks is something they can do, which we think will be incredibly value accretive. Um, also, if you think if you take a medium term view, there will be probably some positive reversions in, in their portfolio which will lead to nice distributable growth. At the same time, you've got option and mass, which we do also like, but they can also perhaps even sell that asset and buy back attack. It's a lot of optionality and high margin of safety. And we think it's a very attractive capital returns as well as um, yield play over time. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time and for your analysis today. Thanks to my guest, Alex Days from Umtombo Wealth and independent analyst, Chris Gilmore. Julieta is back with Stockwatch tomorrow, same time, same place. Have a good evening.